I'm Jake Thompson, and this is the Better Than Yesterday podcast. New week, bunch of awesome competitors getting better every single day. Thank you for joining this week's episode of the Better Than Yesterday podcast. Whether this is your 15th show or your first show, I'm excited you're here. I think you're going to be blown away by today's content. Wayne McCullough and I have had the opportunity to know each other really for a few years now through different relationships that had connected us, and Wayne and I continue to stay in touch. Uh, He's been a great resource for me and a mentor, but the conversations we get into today are all about impacting your fellow man and how Wayne has such a heart uh, for his neighbors in Dallas and his neighbors in his community and how he can help those men uh, be better fathers, be better husbands, and better leaders in their city. And there's so, so much great stuff in this episode uh, that you can apply to your own life wherever you live, wherever you call home. There's some great wisdom in this. I, I absolutely was just enthralled the entire conversation I was having with Wayne and just let him talk because I was absorbing so much of it and just trying to figure out how I can start immediately applying a lot of it to my life. And so today's episode is pretty special. I'm excited and so I'll quit rambling and welcome in Wayne. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Better Than Yesterday podcast. I'm joined with good friend Wayne. How are you? Good, good. Thank you. So before we dive in, Wayne, why don't you give everyone listening just a little background, who you are, what you do here in the Dallas community, and and a little bit about yourself. Okay. My name is Wayne McCullough, born and raised right here in Dallas. Went to the University of Texas in Austin, Hookham, and I am first and foremost a father to three beautiful children and a husband to Lizzie, my wife. And just that alone keeps me very busy. We've got a ninth grader, sixth, and fourth. So we got all three schools covered here. <laughs> um, it's a great life, very busy. I run the wealth management group at Benchmark Private Wealth Management, which is a community bank with offices in Plano, Dallas, Uptown Dallas, three in Austin, one in the Woodlands. And I launched the wealth management group close to three years ago, a little over two and a half years ago. So really helping clients work through financial, difficult financial situations as well as managing their money. Really a true holistic financial planning practice. And what led you down that path to kind of running this, getting involved with the creation of this? That's a great question. And that would, we'll go back a little ways on this because if you want to talk about competing for your life and making the doors open, Got out of school, like most people, with not really a clue of what I wanted to do. My father and brother are both attorneys, so that seemed like a reasonable path. So, actually, right out of school, I went and worked in D.C. for a congressman up there, Sam Johnson. Phenomenal guy. Vietnam War vet. The longest captive in the Vietnam War. He was in Hotel Hanoi with Stockdale and McCain. Wow. And he was a fascinating guy. They broke every finger in his body, broke his toes. Amazing guy. So, I had a great experience with Congressman Johnson. Worked for him in D.C., came back and worked for him here, but realized there's not, that's a difficult path, the political game, for many reasons. It's hard to make money, so you can't be in it for that, and running for office didn't seem too appealing. So I 
started thinking, what could I do with my life? My brother and dad are attorneys. So I thought, well, I'll go to law school. I like to write. I generally like to speak. So I went to law school and was a very unmotivated student. Because the, the issue with law school would be you you really want need to want to be there. And so I, I literally dropped out after one year of law school. And the question is, why would you do that? You should have finished. And I tell people, because it's really, really hard. And if your heart's not in it, and I was worried I'd going to go down a path to practice law my whole life when that really wouldn't that seem passionate about, but I had no idea. So there came law school, effectively didn't work. Tried to figure out what I want to do for a time period, then got in commercial real estate and realized that that was not a great path for me. Spent one year doing tenant representation in the commercial real estate business and pretty much failed there. And the the point would be, so, you know, here I'm getting approaching 28, 29, thinking, what am I going to do with my life? I've tried politics. I've gotten into, studied for the LSAT, which itself took a year, went to school, got into commercial real estate after that, and just had, you know, what could be next? I'm clueless now. I'd always been interested in the financial markets, but I just didn't know what the entry was or the pathway and so I had a, my brother-in-law said I had a family friend launch a new office for a firm based out of St. Louis and said, all right, I mean, it's going to be embarrassing if I go from politics to law to real estate to financial services, but I'll give it a try. And so it, it's where I've been ever since, since 1998. And the, but the point I always try to tell younger people is, first of all, don't get too stressed out if you're 30 and haven't figured out what you're going to do, <laughs> right? Some of the most interesting people I know are 50 and they still don't know. Number one. Number two, the paths will keep opening as long as you don't look at them as a negative path. Why did that happen? What? It's that door is shutting so another one can open, and you have to process like that. So, and, and then that just continued my whole life, which got me to this seat right here, which is the most exciting opportunity of my life, which is really running my own wealth management firm and having you know, a personal investment in this bank and in this community and in this wealth management. So it was, I, I went through what you'd call the Wall Street Channel. And I'm, I'm going to leave firm names out, but the, you can name the big firms that I was with. And all that was building up to this jumping off point three years ago to really launch our own firm. And so when you made that launch, what was your mindset? Because obviously that's a scary, scary thing to be able to jump out like this. How, how did you approach that risk? as a financial guy, avoiding risk in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you approach that, and, and kind of what was your preparation for that? Oh, the approach was you're, you're looking for – part of the approach was you're looking for shifts in the industry as in any industry. So where is the money going within the industry? Is it going – is it continuing down the Wall Street Channel? Is it going to smaller boutique firms? And so what do you see in the financial landscape of how people are investing their money and doing their financial planning? And clearly we noticed a shift in the industry where the Wall Street firms still do a fine job and there's opportunity there, but there's huge opportunities for the private wealth advisory businesses or what we're technically called as a registered investment advisor. Now the mindset was this is going to take some guts because it's going to be very different from what I've done there's going to be a lot of time and energy. But the truth is I knew 
in my heart of hearts or in my gut, which I do think it's important to listen to your gut because really that's either adrenaline or it's cortisol or something's talking to you through your mind, which trans- translates into your gut, which is I had that excited feeling and I just knew that this was it. Now, then it just becomes execution because I did go from excitement. This is something we're going to do. We're going to launch it to, uh, wait, how, I, how do you launch a wealth management firm? Because when, when you're in the Wall Street Channel, it's all done for you, which is fine. But when you're going to build something, which I'm sure you've been through at Compete, you have to put systems in place. And, but in the world we live in now, which I'm sure you see as well, is outsourcing. You've got, how are you going to, it's all about maximizing time and maximizing dollars. But in the beginning, it's about maximizing time. So what can I outsource and still get it done at a very, very high level? And so for us, it might be compliance. It might be some of the back office. So we don't need a team of 25 this day and age. That's smart. I mean, we, we've gone through those growth pains, I'll say, as we're creating systems and, and getting everyone on our team organized. So having that viewpoint in the early days is key because otherwise you're wasting all your time chasing things that you could have easily outsourced to spend your time elsewhere. So let's look at today, because you and I got connected years ago around some different projects and things that you're heavily involved in in the community, because you're, you're someone very passionate about people uh, that you live nearby, that you work nearby, and just the whole Dallas community and scene. I'd love to, one, talk about have you always been that kind of outreach type individual for, I'm trying to think of the best word to put this, but caring for the neighbor mm-hmm. um has that always been something you've grown up with and had throughout your life or is it something the older you've got the more you've wanted to invest in those around you and in your community at large that is a excellent question i've always been a people person love people be it middle school high school loved organizing people loved getting people together loved having friends across all different groups you know going back to high school even in college so I've loved people. I've loved organizing people. I would say, like many people, you get kind of lost in your 20s. And I think most people that really succeed or significant, while that can be very successful years, it can be a period of being lost. So I would say I did lose myself a little bit in there, but always wanting to come back to, you know, how can I improve people's lives? So I would say that even since a kid, I've always loved people. I said at my rehearsal dinner, I looked out, and it was obnoxious. There was literally 200 people because I did not want to invite anybody. I mean, there might have been 300. I mean, it's insane. But I said, I collect relationships and friends, and, and not in an ownership-type way, but in that's what I love to do is collect friendships. I mean, just how you and I met. I can't even remember. It's concentric circles, right? Yeah. I, I show young people that, that you're going to meet one person – and just keep drawing that spiral circle around that center of influence, and you're going to meet 15 other people. And then from a business standpoint, that 15th person may do business with you, but you have you don't even remember. It's six degrees of separation, right? Yeah. So, I, but I've always, my biggest strength is, and this is an old school term, your younger listeners may not even understand it, but is was is building a Rolodex. But once again, not in a bad way, not to be perverted or used. It's just what I like to do is build relationships, which translates very well into this business. So if you want to know the path of how this changed, let's call it 10 years ago almost, 
of how I got very involved in men's lives and and then it, it spun into bigger things is I had kids at Bradfield, which is our local elementary. And I was, at, they have a dad's club there and it meets, they have various meetings, but I think either monthly or quarterly at the time they were doing a dad's club meeting where they have a speaker come. And, you know, you get dragged to these things and it, it, literally it's just bad donuts and kind of cold coffee in the lunchroom, yep. right? But I would go to support it, and a bunch of my friends were there. But I literally, it, maybe it was my oldest was in second or third grade or so. And I went, and there was a speaker, and his name was Doug Hudson. He's a friend of mine. has since become a friend. I didn't know him from Adam. And his speech, basically about being a better father and husband, just floored me. I just sat there staring at him for like three minutes after it was over and just walked straight up to him and said, I don't know you, I've never met you, but we need to have coffee. And so I took Doug to have coffee at Starbucks and I said, Doug, I that, I don't know why, I can't quite pinpoint it, but that just nailed me. And it, it really it held a mirror to my face. And it was about being present, being consistent, being there. And it was all around bees, bee-focused terminology of being a father and husband. And so I took Doug to have coffee, and he, so Doug simply spoke to me. He didn't preach. He is an ordained pastor, but since it's a secular school, he did not play that up. But what I liked was Doug just spoke to me. And he gave me, and Lizzie and I were at that point in life, we had little kids, and, and as some of your listeners know, there's, you're just crossing ships in the night at some times, at those, at those ages, right? I mean, you're just tired all the time, and you're in each other's grill, and it's just for me little children are awesome but it was difficult and I was continuing to build a business and so that still meant some entertaining but Lizzie would let's say she might get upset that I was 30 minutes late for dinner well in my mind I'm out building a business or I'm meeting somebody for drinks that could build a business and I I couldn't calculate that or comprehend why that would be then I was It'll always stick with me. Doug said, did you have a business lunch today? And I said, yeah, I have one almost every day. He said, would you ever just show up 30, 45 minutes late? I said, no. He said, huh, it's interesting, isn't it? And I just <laughs> said, oh, hey, then I was like, that's not fair. He said, no, hey, I'm just, you're just, I'm just asking you. You're giving some random guy you're trying to do business with more respect than your own wife and your own household. And I just thought I had never framed it that way. I had never framed it that way. And part of that goes back to the, generally speaking, men don't have tools to be good fathers and husbands. They just don't. My dad was awesome. A lot of those dads out there, but there is an emotional disconnect, right? I mean, I I will say my dad coached all my sports and he was great, but that's a 1950s type mentality that, so I just thought, and Doug and I spoke for quite a while. We'd met again. I said, I need you to go tell the story to other men because I got a lot of friends whiffing at this. And they just don't know, they don't know not to be 30 minutes late for dinner. They know that their wife gets mad at them, and that reinforces a bad behavior. Why do you want to come home if your wife's getting mad? You're just going to spend more time in the bar networking. And, and then Doug spoke to me about not, never sacrifice family time for the sake of networking, which if you're built like I am, and probably you are, then that's the difficult task, yeah. right? So I can, this goes on a while, so I'll try to temper it, but... <laughs> That led to, so what Doug did was he talked to me as opposed to preach. 
And I wasn't in a place where I wanted to be preached to at that time. The church had done that to me for a long time. Condemnation, shame, you name it. And so his, his simple talk to me inspired me to want to tell this story to other men in my community. And so I invited about 20 guys over to my house. About 15 showed up. And Doug really gave that same talk. He gave it at the elementary school. He gave it there as well as he, you know, kind of, they asked questions and he gave them hard answers. And and it was inspiring to a couple of my friends there. And Doug did something different too. He said, we're going to serve margaritas and guys can smoke cigars. And we're <laughs> going to talk about God. And that will throw them off because in 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 my life and Doug's as well, you know, wherever your listeners are on faith is, is, is one thing. But that was a kind of grounding presence for yeah. me. But I would say I drifted from some that Doug brought me back to in – but it was it was a cool environment or vibe because it wasn't here. Let's have a Bible study, right? We're drinking margaritas. I had the back patio doors open. So one of my close friends, he just was blown away. He's like, I can't believe fifteen guys would actually show up, and I can't believe that you would step out there like that. I said I was just so awakened to this unreality I was living in, and that I could be such a better father and husband than I was being, and. So I wanted to spread the word. So that started the Simple Talk series, which is we have three or four a year. We find unique speakers to come. And we now move to my friend's patio because his house is much larger (laughs) and his patio is humongous. And he's one of my closest friends. And it's our ministry right here in the middle of Dallas. Frankly, right here in the middle of Park Cities. Although, I mean, we invite people from all over. And the point being, if you have everything yet you're empty inside, that's really bad. That's really painful. And it's not to say that other people don't have problems and poverty is a very serious issue, but I'm trying to reach some men right here in this town that may be struggling with pornography addiction, drug addiction, depression. And so that's kind of what we seek after in these talks. As a matter of fact, the first speaker was my brother, who is my personal hero, who's been through three severe depressions that I've lived with him. And he's a pillar in the community. He's a mediator, well-known. Life looks perfect, but it just wasn't all the time. And his depressions, you know, were severe to, you know, me driving over his house, helping him walk upstairs. And and he was our first speaker outside Doug, and I found it fascinating. You could have heard a pin drop. 75 men, business men, strong we probably had, he had 15 coffees or lunches or breakfasts post that because guys saying, hey, I feel like that, but I don't know what to do with it. Or I've, you know, thought about putting a gun in my mouth. And so that's what we're trying to do. Each one reach run if we can change one life or one heart. Dude, so that, that's when I got really reengaged into the community. And, and also I got more bold in my faith of, okay, if I'm going to believe in this Christianity then let's just step out there and live it. Right? Well, and you made a comment before we hopped on air about how you've done, you know, on spring break, you go and do missions, your family's involved, you do a lot of that stuff. But if you're doing that all out there, but you're not tending to your own essentially backyard of the zip code, which is you live in, um, what's more important? And, and so I love that your heart is looking at where opportunities are outside of home to help others that are in needs because there are issues all over the world, but there's so much going on in their backyard that most of us tend to forget 
about those people right around the corner, live right. behind us that are in just as much need of love and help and support. We just don't think about them as much sometimes, which is a sad way to say because we see them probably more often. Yeah, and and there's a lot of destructive behavior here, right? Just like anywhere in any community. I mean, it's not unique to here. You can go anywhere in the greater Dallas-Fort Worth or you go anywhere in America. But it's what I'm striving for, and men are not good at this, is authenticity, right? You've got to be authentic. Life would be easier if you just walked around with a sign that says, I'm sad today. My wife is leaving me. I'm financially struggling because putting on airs is just, it makes things worse. So that's our goal is to really bring this stuff to the light. And and then we hope to, you know, you're going to improve. If I get a guy's f- help begin to get the family life right, it, it really affects generations, right? A lot of a lot of my friends and a lot of dads still, their kids, you knew one emotion from your, two emotions from your dad, or some people still see this from current dads, which is anger or they're asleep, right? That's it because you can't control what happens at home. Like, I, I'm great up here at work because I got it all dialed in. You go home, you know, I don't know, somebody throws a baseball through the window, launches spaghetti sauce on the wall, and then you can't control it. So Doug also helped me learn to laugh a little more and <laughs> and, and breathe deep. And so That's awesome. And so yeah. that that Simple Talk project that you guys do multiple times a year has led you down a path to a new – passion that we mm-hmm. discussed briefly but I'd love if you could kind of share what is the hearts of men what is this thing you've been working on and and just more about it yeah so it's fascinating how it all came about so I, I got this passion for helping men in general and in men in this community but really you know what can we do and it's it's similar to compete every day and that you know what can we do to compete as men every day and become better men in not in financial realm, right? But I had this. It's 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 a really amazing string of events. But my wife's little sister, her name's Jewel, amazing, amazing young girl. She goes to UVA, very involved in many projects for for somebody this young. She just graduated now, but graduated last year. But she was doing an internship for a local charitable organization called Pure Hope, or a nonprofit. Okay, Pure Hope is a nonprofit that's involved in really helping parents and really people function in an over-sexualized culture. So curriculum to help talk to your kids about online pornography or help couples work through various issues. So Pure Hope, you can check them out online. So she was, she was interning for Pure Hope, living in our back house, and she kept leaving flyers on my kitchen table or, you know, trying to bait me. And I just throw them all away because I got very too much I'm involved in. But she was put in charge of a coffee that they were putting on at a coffee house that was a little bit of a symposium on Pure Hope. And they were going to have somebody that had been trapped in the sexual trafficking industry come and speak. And that did intrigue me. But mainly I only went because Jewel was part of it. So the interns hosted an event. I went to that event and there was a you know, beautiful African-American girl that spoke basically about being trapped in the sexual trafficking world. And what I thought was fascinating, she talked, she worked for a local topless bar that you would consider, quote unquote, high end if that exists. But you know what I'm talking about. You can yeah. drive down Northwest Highway and see them. So she had gone to Mexico to a sister club. When she got to Mexico, they took away her passport and all her money. 
okay, that's immediately sexual trafficking because she can't cross country borders. So she gets stuck in Mexico for months, scared to death. She was abused and finally gets back over, finds pure hope. They help her find her way. And I was just, there was basically somebody being sexual trafficked right here in our backyard to a topless bar that I know many guys had been to or still go. So it makes you start thinking, now, I, I can't go to, even, you just can't go to that place, right? Because they literally trafficked a woman in Mexico who had a kid. I mean, it's just, it's just asinine. This happened right here in our backyard. So I was, I was just felt this passion for human sexual trafficking and, and what can we do? And then also, what does the demand look like? I left that coffee really intrigued with what Pure Hope was doing. But it, it waned a little bit. A gentleman named Noel Boucher spoke, who's, who's paramount to this whole story. And Noel spoke, and brilliant, brilliant guy. He was a New York attorney, married a, another high-powered New York attorney, and they walked away from everything to basically fight this fight for slavery and sexual slavery and trafficking. So Noel spoke, eloquent speaker, amazing guy. But I really just let it slide a little bit. Jewel, about a month later, sent me a clip of a two-and-a-half-minute trailer that some of it was animated and some of it was documentary style. And it basically hit home on sexual trafficking and sexual brokenness, and it, and it addressed the hearts of men. Okay, I'll have to, if you can include a link for your, yeah. for your listeners, if I can get you the original three-minute trailer that was a... In the it was the brainchild of a guy named Tony Anderson. Tony lives in Kentucky, and he's a composer, brilliant composer for commercials, films. He writes scores. He had put together this three-minute trailer, and the only way I can explain it is I watched this three-minute trailer, and just like the, the Doug Hudson moment to some extent, I sat in silence. This was much more intense than that for three or four minutes, maybe longer, and... All that went through my mind is this movie has to be made. This has to be made. I got Noel. I scrolled down the email, got Noel's voicemail, and said, Noel, he loves it. He saved the voicemail. You don't know me. That's probably a good thing. I just watched something that may change the direction of my life. We need to get that film made. And that was the history of me getting involved in a film project called The Heart of Men. Okay? And it's been a passion project for three years. I'll give you a little background on it. The, the bottom line is just gentleman Tony Anderson was started a charity called Unearth. He was going around overseas, let's call it Russia, Thailand, where, wherever he was going to track down sexual trafficking. And he was literally kicking down brothel doors, filming this stuff on HD, uploading it onto the Internet for the world to see. This is what's happening. This is what's being exposed he, you know, you, you kick down a brothel. He almost got killed in Russia. He's got crazy stories, right? Because you don't mess with the Russian yeah. mob and they control the, the trafficking. So, Tony, you kick down a door and there's, I, I say Kentucky, it doesn't matter. There's some guy from Kentucky in there with a 14-year-old. So, what you have to begin to ask yourself is, what does that path look like? You don't just show up in Russia they're, they're to sleep with a... 14 year old and this guy might have three kids at home and a wife so you have to start asking okay what is the demand and what's even driving that to happen tony came back and was was 
exhausted and effectively realized he's gonna, you can kick down brothel doors forever, but that is not going to fix the problem. And so he really took a year off meditating, thinking about his charity, and what in that year came this three-minute clip. And also when that year came that I am not kicking down brothel doors anymore, the only chance we have is to change men's hearts. It's a supply-demand issue, right? So can we change men's hearts to not want to do these things or to replace it with something better? And that, that began this whole project. We began him the film project, which is I got very excited and watched the film project. I then got a little frustrated because you're addressing pornography and sexual addiction and things that lead to people ending up with a 14-year-old because it doesn't start, well, I think I'll go sleep with a 14-year-old child today, right? It's a slow burn because you need, if you start on pornography, you need more and more. It's just like anything, right? More and more and more. Your cortisol levels get higher and higher. It actually rewires some cor- some of the cortex. I mean, it's it, the science is there behind what it does to your brain, especially in young boys, young men that watch it. But so you're just having to continue to ratchet up that behavior. And so it's like, okay, what, we need to get at these men's heart early. And what? how can we do that? And that that became our mission through a film project called The Heart of Men. And what we're really doing is we're taking on sexual brokenness. It's it's a roundabout way to get at sexual trafficking, but it's really we decided to to pivot off that and go more towards men's heart. And for us, it is a faith-based film because you have to okay if you're going to take out if you're going to take out this lust for pornography or sexual addiction or this brokenness or even you know some perversion. You got to replace it with something. In our case, it was it was a relationship with God, a relationship with Jesus Christ. In our particular case, which is something to love much bigger than yourself, and something with compassionate love or someone. And so that was the path we took. The film is can be, be viewed in a very secular manner, and so that's where we're. Because Tony would say how messed up it is that he has the chance to spend quiet time with the creator of the universe and talk about anything and everything yet he would rather spend it watching 30 minutes of graphic pornography. I think that could go for anything. You could, you have the opportunity to spend 30 minutes with your family, your son throwing the ball, but it's, it gets so dark that you get trapped into pornography. What I try to get guys see just on a temporal level is guys are very, um, fast twitch you know so they see an ad they click on it then that maybe leans leads to a pornography site what they don't know and i can prove this too is if you want to follow the path of where that site's going you don't want to know it's some producer in la that's not a good person and most of those women don't want to be there the men are trapped in it i mean i know some of this is controversial people argue with me but i've seen enough stats because the single biggest lie is that pornography doesn't hurt anybody. It, it hurts everyone. It hurts everyone involved. And so pornography is, is part of what the film's about, but really it's driving to get at men's heart. And the film itself is a narrative and a documentary, meaning we have actual footage of a story we're telling, which would be a prodigal son story, mixed in with real-life people some some therapists talking about how you work through it and then some people telling their stories of their brokenness and it's 
it's amazing truly amazing that's awesome man wayne you are it's very apparent how much you care for and love your other man and it's rare as we laughed about kind of the community and the empty sandcastles that are so prevalent around not only dfw but all over the u.s and these things we've been built you're someone that hasn't been caught up in that despite being in a wealth and financial industry how do you go about kind of your mindset from a day-to-day practice to mm-hmm. one be successful that you have been in in all these projects in your career but also maintain the right perspective on life and the things that you're most passionate about and are most important to you so they don't get lost in all the bright lights of everything else yeah so that's a great question and and I decided to get more bold in all this, which was a big step in its own right. And I'd say there probably was a time I was caught up in more of the trappings of this town. Fortunately, I matured out of them or wanting my picture in the society section or whatnot, right? And some of this is related to my business because I'm building a business. I maintain relationships in the private wealth management, so I have to be out. But it became really prioritizing what matters. So... Yeah, so how you live your life, and as Jake knows, I'm a Tim Ferriss guy, so every day starts with making the bed, by the way. Because if you got to win, if you if I get nothing else done, at least I accomplish that one thing that day, right? And I really, this is crazy. I, the other day, left for a meeting, had probably driven six minutes, and drove back by the house <laughs> on my way to the next meeting. And my wife, Lizzie, said, what are you doing? I said, i got to go make the bed. She's like, that's just weird. I was like, it's just going to kill me <laughs> if I don't do it. So We're the opposite um, in that. I I am not the bed maker. My wife will make the bed, uh, but probably half the time during the week, the bed does not get made because the dog blanket is on top oh, and the see. dog refuses to get out of bed. I was like, oh, well, we'll, that's we'll a good problem that. to have. And it's not a be-all, end-all. So... I'll tell you one thing. You said Sandcow's interesting. I met with the gentleman, Tim Timmons. Uh, he's a premier songwriter and recording artist in Nashville right now. And I had a chance meeting in this office, this conference room right here. And he said something that really stuck with me. And I've been saying it to myself every day. What am I doing each day to tear my kingdom down and build up God's? Right, So it's the exact opposite of the way the world operates, but it's very freeing. So as opposed to, I'm just building all this up, building this wealth. These are my bricks I'm building around me. I'm just at the top of my castle. It's I need to take that thing down. Every start at the end of the day, how am I going to take it down? The end of my night, end of my night, did I take it down, and did I try to build up the kingdom of God? That would be one. It, the other thing is I always try to keep in mind that, and this is an important statement for people to think about is, or what if your brokenness was a bridge to God, not a barrier, okay? So I just always want to have that tape playing in my head, which is because I fall, because I blow a gasket one day, because I, it's, I can't allow my brokenness to be an impediment to my relationship with God or really people, right? I need to be authentic is what it gets down to, right? And, and people, once they see authenticity, it's attractive too, right? So it's not, it shouldn't, I think generally people think their brokenness 
and authenticity will drive people away. It really, think about who the people you're attacking to, probably the people that are on the show, right, that actually will put themselves out there. So to manage it all, I do spend some time in meditation in the mornings. That's a big thing for me, a minimum 10 minutes of mindfulness, usually 10 minutes of prayer, and then I'll listen to a song and usually journal for five minutes or so. And, and I try to make that happen in the mornings a lot. And I do have to front load my mornings, meaning I get up early because there's just not enough hours in the day. So I need it to get that stuff done before the world gets to me. I need a, you know, if I don't get to God first, the world's going to get to me first, right? And so though, so I try to get that done early. I don't know if that touches on. No, it does. It does. I, w- I would be interested because we talked before the show about meditation. It was the one thing that you've seen successful people, mm-hmm. all successful people carve out that time every day. And it, I mean, it's not like you have to start with 10 minutes. It could easily be, I'm going to set a timer and go 60 seconds. Correct. And focus on breathing and, and work into it. Uh, my friend, um, Jeff Woods, that runs uh, the Mentee podcast or, or did and now works for uh, the one thing Gary Keller, Jay Papazan, he talked about a, an app on your iPhone that you can get um, that's Did You Not Break the Chain? It's the chain app. And essentially it'll send you a reminder every mm-hmm. day of did you keep it. And so if your your goal for you know 90 days is to do, all right, I'm going to do meditation every day, you set it in the phone and it will send you a reminder at the time you set it every day. Did you remember to do this? If not, boom, do it. And so it keeps you track because once you start seeing those X's, on the calendar, you don't want to break that streak. And so it helps create that habit. But what advice would you give for someone that we talked about earlier, someone in their 20s that may be a little lost or or maybe is 30 and is like panicking because they haven't all figured it out and Mm -hmm. they're not quote unquote successful like they would see other people on social media being successful or that they feel that they should be at this point in their life. What words would you give them for that journey? Hmm. And I have a fair amount of these meetings. Uh, I would say one thing that I've learned is comparison is the death of contentment. Okay? I don't care what age. I, I am very bad at that. I still do it. I, I'm not somebody that looks on social media, but I see somebody in a position, and I think, frankly, I'm better than that. I should be. I'm better than that position. I should have that position. I'm better than that person. So that's difficult. You have to fight that all the time. So no matter where you are, I would say gratitude. I, I would say the earlier, and I was very bad at this. The earlier you can practice gratitude and contentment, the better your life will be. So I would say that is that is a. It doesn't sound practical, but it really is a practical tip. Practice gratitude, and it will make your life so much better. And it'll also attract things into your life, right? I mean, we can talk about the secret of the power of attraction. I mean, that's. What, however people view it, it's just a reality of if you're gracious and have gratitude for your current situation. Now, important is don't look at, and you're all over this, which is failures are huge opportunities. I mean, you gotta, you, you got to take your licks, and, I mean, you've got to keep going, right? And that's what, you know, when, for example, my brother had depression, I said, hey, you got to, we're getting up and we're putting one foot in front of the other. And that's what you, so you can't, I'll say if one thing I did, I I did have, would have had the opportunity early on. Well, I did get frustrated, but when I look back, every path was leading to me sitting right here and getting a chance to run my own firm. If it, commercial real estate didn't work out, 
or had I not dropped out of law school to everybody's chagrin? Did I, you know, not left the Congress? I mean, everything just had to play to be here. So don't let, let don't let, you know, the doors that close stop you. Now, I would say, too, I do encourage a bent towards entrepreneurism or entrepreneurship. If there's something you're passionate, I mean, I tell, I said this to a 50-year-old guy the other day who's trying to figure it out a little bit. I said, what, this is an interview, but what would you do if you could do anything? I mean, that doesn't make sense. No, I'm like, really? So you like to fly fish? Then is there a way to monetize that into a business, right? And then there's there's real dollars versus freedom dollars, meaning you can make 200000 here, you can make 130 doing this, but if you're passionate about it and you love it, that, that gap's just not that big of a difference. Unless you have to pay bills and stuff, which I get, nobody has those moments. But I do encourage entrepreneurship, and, you know, everybody may need to take their lumps at a big company, but... I think gen- ultimately, I look. I look. Okay, I should answer this. When you're looking at companies, you're trying to figure out where you're going in your life to. Take a long, hard look at the culture, and that'll tell you everything. I, you, have you ever read from Good to Great? Uh-huh. Or, right. So I have it sitting out there. It's Jim Collins' book, and you know, ha- every single company that's great starts with a good culture, and that's something that I'd look at in in companies you're going to work for or anything you're doing. Now I'd say. Pursue your passion and, you know, be be willing to do things that scare you. You know, the old saying, do something that scares you every day. The 20s are a hard time, though, because you are, you may have to be in jobs that aren't perfect for what you want to do. But I would keep, I would be actively, that, I just talked to this about a friend at breakfast. Don't get trapped, though, because 28 to 38 can go real, and I'm of experience. I mean, 28 to 38 is going to go real fast. And so you, you're in a job, you're pushing pencils, but you make a good living, and that living gets better, and you're getting some bonuses. If Just pull the plug. Life's too short. Yeah, you get caught in the all the toys and everything you've bought, and by the time right. you look up, you don't want to really get rid of the toys, but you hate what you do every Monday through Friday. And uh, man, it, it's a scary position. I, I, I can relate. Laughing about some of the early stuff, looking back that I did, thinking of like, why the heck am I doing this? And looking back now and being like, I know why I did it. And right. It's helped me to where I am, and just sacrifices I made in my late twenties from an income standpoint, launching compete. Like it was making tons less than friends, but understanding of, all right, 10 years from now, I'm playing the long game with this. And I love the comment you made about Jim Collins. And what I immediately went to when you talked about it is the the culture aspect because of everything else we've talked about today and how important that culture is not in, not only for a successful company, but for home life and successful home. And, and all these projects you're doing from the simple talk to hearts of men and and how that's important in influencing the culture these men have at homes because we're in charge of dictating that home culture and, and taking the lead in that. Um, and so if, if anyone's not read the book from a business standpoint, it's fascinating, uh, but I would also recommend just keeping that in mind from a personal standpoint and the type of culture you're creating at your house, whether you're single now, uh, whether you're, you're dating or married, whatever it is of setting that culture to be a thriving one um, and positive atmosphere. 
being involved in a lot of charities can really be a difficult thing. You you have to be careful because it you can't start believing this is all about you. This is what I do. This is what I do for the charity. It always has to be focused on what can I do for the charity. So getting involved in a charity is not about building up my resume or building up who I am. Once again, you always have to circle back. Am I giving enough time and or energy to that cause or that charity? So not getting myself spread too thin is one thing that has really helped calm me and keep me sane over the past three or four years. As I've discussed earlier, I'm hyper-focused on a few causes. Two others, or really three, is the Momentous Institute, which is powered by the Salesmanship Club. We're an organization here in town that is highly focused on educating children, bringing them mental mental stability, and the things and the work we do in this town is just incredible for at-risk kids. It's truly incredible. It's the Momentous Institute, powered by the most amazing group of men at the Salesmanship Club that really helped this charity go, that help it run, that help change kids' lives. And, and it's something that I am beyond honored to be involved in. Whenever I go out and tour the school, the J. Eric Johnson School, I'm amazed with the work we're doing and the lives we're changing. We have a family work center, which really begins to change the narrative of these kids' family. And changing that narrative gives them a safe place at home. So that's one cause that is very, very, very near and dear to my heart. I'm also involved with a gentleman named Ryan Birdman Parrott, a former Navy SEAL sniper with SEAL Team 7 who has a group or a charity, the Sons the Flag, as well as the Bird's Eye View Project. Ryan is hyper-involved in, he is hyper-involved in other veteran causes, which is unusual. His charity effectively raises a lot of money and awareness for other veteran causes. And he is very dialed in to burn victims, which is somewhat of an overlooked area in the world of uh, injuries to soldiers, to first responders. So Sons of the Flags and the Bird's Eye View Project are both organizations I'm highly involved in. Really what I bring value is just is can give energy can help make connections, can help network and raise awareness and effectively dollars for these organizations. But once again, as I circle back, I have to just remember that this isn't about me. It's really important to always be focused on what that cause is. So for all the fun we have in both these organizations, you have to always go back to the underlying cause. I encourage anybody to look into the Momentous Institute in the school, in the family works. We are so far ahead of the game making sure the kids have water, making sure there's light in the rooms, very basic things that the human mind works at a much higher level when it's hydrated, when there's sunlight, when kids meditate briefly before class to really settle their mind. So these are things that other things I'm highly involved in that really, really mean a lot to me. And a lot of this was instilled in me by my folks who have always given back a lot to the community. So I added this to make sure those, those, these causes I care deeply about are, are brought to the light and that, that the second I think this is all about me, look what I'm doing, is really the second I have to check my ego or really just look back, step back, and say, hey, am I affecting the greater good of the cause? So...
Wayne, man, this has been great. If people want to find out more about the hearts of men, where the heck can they go? If they live here in that Dallas area and they're interested in the Simple Talk, is there any information on that? No, the Simple Talk is all, you can go find me on LinkedIn or something because that's all just me sending out emails to people. And that's waiting for the right speaker to present itself. Okay. Uh, yes, there, I would check out Pure Hope for one thing, just to learn more about Nobuche's nonprofit. And then you could Google Heart of Men and you can see all you want. Our website is unearth.org. I was about to say, we'll link to it. We'll make sure it's the right one. Have it linked here in the show notes. Wayne, this has been awesome. Thanks so much. Yeah. Okay. Are we done? We don't have to be. What do you have? I just wanted to make one something I should have said yeah, earlier. Come on. When you were talking about launching this business, yeah, there there was three things that happened, and I should say this to the young people. You know, one having the buy-in of my spouse was very important. Not to launch this this wealth management firm on my own. Two was prayer or meditation over the process, and did I get confirmation? And then I do want to give credit to Benchmark, the bank that's. And this goes to, which is the finest organization I've been involved with, and this isn't me just pressing agenda, because it's important you find the right partner. Would you want to spend time with that partner? And Because this can, it's hurt a lot of my friends, and it, it it's happened to me in some ways, um, but you find that right partner, and it makes life a lot easier, really in life, marriage, dating, whatever that is, but really on the business standpoint, be careful who you partner with because it's a reflection of you. And that's been the benchmark bank where the wealth management, benchmark wealth management, but has been a huge partner to us. Dude, so. I love it. This is great, man. This has been a fun time. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Better Than Yesterday podcast. To check out more on the show, visit us at betterthanyesterdaypodcast.com. If you've got feedback, questions, guest ideas, I love hearing from you. And so email us podcast at competeeveryday.com. We read every email. If you loved the show, let us know by leaving us a rating and review on iTunes. We read every single one of those as well, and it gives us great feedback on how we can continue to improve the show to make it the best resource for you. Until next time, keep being better than yesterday.